Hi, we're here with Wade Tatanzalo, our entertainment editor and writer of the Allman Brothers 50th anniversary story. How you doing? Doing well, thanks, Lee. What was key to telling the story? What was the key? Well, obviously, you know, Allman Brothers have great ties to the area. Greg Allman lived here, lived on Amory Island, and now you got Dickie Betts, who, you know, the key guy to songs like Rambo Man and all this other stuff, Elizabeth Reed, Jessica, he lives here, right in Osprey, right on Little Sarasota Bay. So I had to talk to him again, and that was key, you know, to have him reflect on Allman Brothers. And then also what's interesting is the day after the 50th anniversary, the Allman Betts Band with his son Dwayne and Devin Allman, Greg's son, and Barry Dwayne Oakley, founding member Barry Oakley's son who lives in Venice, they are launching their 50th anniversary, the first Allman Betts Band tour. So I had to talk to all three of them too. And uh, I found most interesting is uh, what a father figure Dickie has been, obviously to his son Dwayne, but also to Devin and to Barry. And uh, hearing Dickie how proud he is of, of these guys, it was really heartwarming as well. When did you first become an Allman Brothers fan, band fan? Uh, you know, growing up in Pennsylvania, you, people think Southern rock and it's Southern thing, but me, my dad was a huge, huge Allman Brothers fan. In fact, one of my parents' early dates was seeing the Allman Brothers band on that uh, Brothers and Sisters tour when Rambo Man was number you know two hit on the radio. They were going to see them at Hershey Park Arena, and I was born uh, shortly thereafter. So, growing up, those essential Allman Brothers albums like at Fillmore East, they were in my dad's collection, and you know they were playing all the time. So that's it was definitely my dad. Who was the first uh, member of the band you interviewed? Well, you know, the uh, it goes back to 2000. The movie Almost Famous came out. And that kind of got me. That was based on Cameron Crowe's experiences with the uh, Allman Brothers, largely. Dickie Betts' character is played by Billy Crudup. And uh, I saw that, and that kind of got me away from wanting to be a filmmaker and wanting to be a journalist. And ironically, Red Dog, the character in that film, who is the roadie for Allman Brothers, his picture appears on the Film or East album, he had put out a book called Bustin' Tales, and it talked about what it was like being a roadie on the Allman Brothers, and it went into such detail, it got him dismissed by Greg from the <laughs> Allman Brothers. But he sent a copy of the book to the USF <gasps> Oracle office, and you know, I grew up with the Allman Brothers, but it, in my early 20s, I wasn't listening to him as much at that moment. I read this book, and I ended up interviewing Red Dog at his house in Tampa. And then about a month later, I'm at a government mule show at Janice Landing in St. Pete, and that's Warren Haynes' his band, who was in the Allman Brothers at the time, and Red Dog sees me, and just like he does with Cam and Crow in the movie, he goes, do you want to interview Warren Haynes? Well, I'd had a few beers, I wasn't there to interview, but he gets me and brings me on the bus, and there I am sitting with Dave Schools, the bassist, and Warren Haynes is signing autographs, and I'm sitting there drinking Warren Haynes' Heineken, and next thing I know, I'm interviewing Warren Haynes, and I wrote that up, and that really put me on a path to uh, being a music writer that helped me get the job with uh, Creative Loafing in Tampa. What's it like interviewing Dickie Betts? Intimidating. (laughs) (laughs) In a word. Uh, No, it it was at first. Um, When I I first interviewed him was actually a sad event. I'd gotten to know Dan Toller pretty well. He was a guitarist with Dickie and then with the Allman Brothers. And it was at uh, Dan Toller's funeral. You know, Dickie's daughter, Kim Betts, lives here. She's a great singer and uh, Dwayne I got to know Dwayne and Kim. They're, you know, close to my age. And at the funeral, Kim's like, you know, uh, my dad will talk to you. And so he was fidgety. During the funeral, he got up a couple times to go have a smoke. And so we get done with the funeral, and she's like, yeah, wait, just go up to him. And he's sitting there with his cowboy boots on, the big cowboy hat, and, you know, the sport coat, surrounded by these guys that, you know, look pretty intimidating. And I walk up, and he kind of just, Dickie has a stare, like, 
he he can look right through you and put the fear in you. He just kind of stared at me like, who are you? And Kim reminded him again, and then we went off in the parking lot, and uh, he ended up being really sweet. It was tough. The wind was blowing, but uh, he'll be missed. I remember him saying that to me. He'll be missed, talking about Dan Torn, and that's the most important thing someone can say about you. Wow. And uh, over the years, how I got, I think, a key moment was, you know, I hung out with all his bandmates. Uh, I actually spent the night at Dickie's house one time. I don't think he knows this on his compound because I was hanging out with all of his bandmates. Frankie Lombardi, who lived with Dickie, and after a long night, um, spent the night there. <laughs> so, sorry, thanks, Dickie. And the next morning, Frank's like, you want to meet him? I'm like, no. Uh, but th- we got to be uh, at a show at Robert's. Um, Dickie and I got talking, and I told him how much I liked this country song he did called Nancy that was for an album that never got released. And he started singing it a cappella to me. And we just kind of bonded, I think, there. And then I ended up uh, talking to him over the phone, and then he had me to his house one afternoon for the whole afternoon. And there wasn't anything he wouldn't talk about. And he really was warm and super friendly. And he's uh, that was a really uh, special experience. And then after that, I got to, uh, he invited me. He liked the story and he invited me on his RV after the show. My wife and I got to talk to him. And I remember telling a story uh, about Jimmy Carter. He helped Jimmy Carter get elected. And uh, he's got a letter from him. And I'm telling the story and Dickie kind of punches me. And he goes, shut up and let me tell it. And he's just <laughs> funny like that. My wife got a kick out of that. And so he's just, he, he's, he can be intimidating, but he can also be really, really a sweet guy. In fact, there's a picture of him where he's resting his arm on me. And he's just, yeah, he's, he's the real deal. That's for sure. That comes across. Yeah. You grew up listening to the Allman Brothers. Now you've interviewed many of them, including Dickie, of course. What's been the most surreal thing for you? Um, well, a couple months ago, I got a call from David Spiro. He's uh, Dickie's manager. He's managed all kinds of people, uh, Joe Walsh, Bad Company. And David called and they asked me to write the liner notes for the upcoming Dickie Betts Band live DVD and CD that's coming out in June. So doing that was surreal, especially um, I grew up good friends with Damon Fowler. He's a guitarist, and Damon is in the Dickie Betts Band. So me and him grew up listening to Allman Brothers. You know, he was at my wedding, and I was at his. And then when he got the call from uh, to be in the Dickie Betts band and now he's going to be on this DVD and I wrote the liner notes for it. It's just very surreal and we even kind of talked about that. I mean, I used to joke with him when he was playing shows. I'm not joking. Hey, play Whipping Post because he does a really good job of it and this was in 2000, 2001 and you know, and then 17 years later be with him and everybody backstage after that first Dickie Betts band show at the White Buffalo and now to have written the liner notes for it. That's surreal and having Dickie this last time talking to him, you know, and this goes back to being intimidating too. I had to ask him, or felt I had to ask him about the last conversation I had with Greg Allman. And wait, that's too damn personal. And you know, it, but then him giving me the the quotes that I thought were needed. But at the end of the interview, what was touching is, uh, "You sure you got everything you need, Wade? Yeah, and uh, you know, you're a good writer. You're a good writer. And that for a guy that I admire so much as a guitarist and also a lyricist." to be told you're a good writer by someone like that, that meant a lot to me. Better than a Pulitzer. <laughs> For me, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Wade. Thank you, Lee. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.